So the Bible reading today is Psalm 51, which should be on page 457 if you have a church Bible. It's also on the screen and in the leaflets. For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness. Even in the womb, you taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. O God, you are my God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Hi again, everyone. It's great to be with you this morning. Really, it is a great privilege to be able to come to a different church, going to Trinity Bay normally, but being able to come here and um, spend this morning with everyone at both of these services. It's really encouraging uh, to be able to praise God together. In, in the Psalms, God speaks to us through the deepest of human emotions. The guilt that David, the writer, feels really leaps off the page, doesn't it, as, as we read this Psalm. And guilt is something that we can all relate to. I don't mean just guilt about the friend's birthday that we forgot or the second dessert that we ate, uh, but I mean the deep sense of guilt when we know that we've done something wrong. And this psalm not only expresses the emotional baggage that we all know that guilt brings, but it also shows us how we can deal with our guilt. We see the backstory to this psalm in 2 Samuel chapter 11, which we'll have a quick look at in a moment, but I'm mindful this will be potentially a difficult topic for some people. So how about I pray before we get started? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of being able to sit under your word. And as we approach this topic of guilt, uh, we realize it's a heavy topic for all of us. It's very personal for us. Uh, we pray that you'd speak to us through this psalm today and speak to us in a way that helps us to be able to take our guilt and to understand it in a way that's honouring to you and to be able to deal with it in a way that's honouring to you and that is helpful for us. Amen. All right, let's have a bit of a think of the backstory of this psalm. 
Now, David was a good king. He'd been handpicked by God to be king over all of Israel. And he ruled faithfully over Israel for many decades, did some great things during his time. And for years, centuries even, after his death, every king after him was compared with David. So David really set the standard for what a good king looks like. He was a good king most of the time. We've all done things in our lives that we've regretted, and David was no different. There was one day that he was out on his palace rooftop. He was looking out over the city, and he saw a woman bathing. She was beautiful. So he got his messengers to go out and find out who she was, and they told him her name is Bathsheba. She has a husband called Uriah. But the husband was out fighting a battle at that time. So David saw his chance and got the messengers to bring Bathsheba over to his, to his palace. And he spent the night with her. But that was okay. No one would ever find out. Uriah would get back from battle in a few weeks' time and he'd be none the wiser about what had happened. Well, David was horrified a few days later to learn that Bathsheba was pregnant. But he had an idea. What he decided to do was to bring Uriah back from the battlefield and to give him a night alone with his wife as a reward for faithful service in the battle, but also as a convenient cover-up for his wife being pregnant. But what happened was that Uriah didn't even go inside his house He slept on the the front doorstep of his house. He was ashamed to go inside when all of his fellow soldiers were still out on the battlefield. And so David was getting a little bit more desperate at this point. He decided what he'd do is get Uriah blind drunk at his palace and then send him home. But it still didn't work. Uriah still slept on his doorstep, didn't go inside his house. Well, at this point, David had completely run out of options So he told his army commander the next day to make sure that Uriah was killed in the battle. And that's exactly what happened. With Uriah dead, David was free to marry Bathsheba and to avoid any of the public disgrace that might have surrounded that. But David knew that he'd done the wrong thing. We can only imagine how he felt as he looked back on all these events that had happened. God had given him so much in his life and he'd responded by committing adultery and murder. Grieved by his sin and probably in tears as he wrote, David poured out his heart to God in this psalm. David knew his guilt all too well. There's no attempt at all in this psalm to justify what he's done. You know, Dear God, I know I did the wrong thing, but you know the stress I've been under lately? There's there's none of that. He throws himself on God's unfailing love and compassion. He pleads for mercy. He pleads for God to, to blot out his sin, to cancel it from his record. Have a look at verse 3. I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. This isn't something that David just feels a little bit bad about. It's something that's always on his mind. 
all day, everything he's doing, he's distracted by the guilt that he feels. And then at night, he closes his eyes to go to sleep. And all he can see is Uriah's face with enemy soldiers surrounding him on the battlefield. And we can all empathize, can't we? Because it it might not be this extreme, but we all know what it's like to feel guilt in our lives from something that we've done wrong. Maybe it was something you did that hurt somebody else. Maybe it was something you did that only you will ever know about. Uh, Something you did, something you thought, something you said, something you did years ago, something you did recently, something that is still going on. It could be anything. We all know how guilt feels and how it plants itself in our minds. Have a look at verse 4. Speaking to God, David says, Against you, you only, have I sinned. Now you can't help but wonder, surely Uriah was a little bit affected by that as well, you know, dying and everything. But what David is recognizing is that all sin is first and foremost against God. Because that's what sin is. It's our rebellion against God. It's choosing our way instead of his. I'm sure we've all been in situations where we've done the wrong thing and somebody has been hurt. And it's appropriate in that situation to to feel bad for that person, to to feel bad about what we've done that's hurt them. So there's there's that side of things. There's also the the personal shame side of it as well. You, You do something wrong, you feel guilty, and there's also a personal shame that you've let yourself down by acting in this way. I think we can all be familiar with both of those things. But most of all, our sins are against God, the God who created us to, to serve him and to enjoy a relationship with him. God is always the main injured party in our sin. David knows that he stands guilty before God. And notice also that David is talking about sin on two different levels here. Now, clearly, the reason that he's writing this psalm is because of this terrible thing that he's done, this sin that he's committed. Then he says in verse 5, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. David knows that he hasn't just sinned, but he is sinful, full stop. And he always has been. Rebellion against God is essential to his very nature. And it's the same for all of us. Uh, Whether you've been a Christian for years, for decades, maybe you're here, someone who's not a Christian, just checking out what church is all about, and perhaps you're still working out exactly where you're at with God. We're all in the same boat with that. We all stand guilty before God in need of his mercy. We've all rebelled against him. And knowing this guilt is a painful first step toward the joy that only God can provide. So regardless of where you're at with God, we all know what it's like to feel guilt. We all know what it's like to want to be free from those feelings of guilt, from the, I guess, the internal consequences of the things that we've done wrong. And David expresses those longings powerfully in this psalm, doesn't he? 
Like we see the, the first six verses, David is bringing his guilt before God. And then verses 7 to 15, he's begging God to relieve him and to restore him back to where he was. He wants to be washed clean, we see in verse 7. He knows that his sin has left him dirty on the inside, and he can feel it. He feels dirty. He needs to be washed clean. I was saying up there with Kez a moment ago, I used to work as an engineer a few years ago, and when I started that job for the first time, I met a guy who had been working there for a little bit. We got chatting, and I told him that I was a Christian. I went to church, and he first up made it very clear that he wasn't a Christian, didn't believe in any of that sort of thing. But then he said, but I do go to church occasionally. Because I just, I've done things wrong in my life. I feel dirty. I feel like I need to go to church every now and then. I found that really interesting. Someone who didn't grasp what sin was, but still understood the uncleanness that it brings. In verse 8, David wants to hear joy and gladness. His guilt has brought him despair. The things that he once enjoyed doing have now been completely numbed by the feeling of guilt that he has. Verse 9, he wants his sins blotted out, just hidden entirely from God's sight. And not just this most recent sin, but all of the sins he's committed. As he thinks about what he's done, it, it brings to mind all these other things he's done in his life. And the weight is just too much for him to bear. He pleads to God for a pure heart, a heart that longs to love and obey God. He doesn't ever want to come before God again with this sort of guilt on his heart. And above all, he doesn't want God to reject him. He knows that he he stands guilty before God. He doesn't deserve God's loyalty. But he despairs at the thought of God abandoning him. He longs for God to restore him and to sustain him. It's hard to, to put into words the effect that guilt has on us, isn't it? David's emotions here really express the, the complexity of guilt that, that words can't really quite get across. We feel unclean on the inside. We, we feel like we'll never be joyful again. And we feel regret at what's happened. We'd love to be able to go back in time and relive things, do things differently and not have to have it on our mind. January 29 this year was quite a special day for me. It was my birthday, but that's not why it was special. It was special because on the 28th of January 2013, I wrote my car off. I'd managed to crash into a cliff coming down a hill. It was a bit embarrassing, but anyway. But most insurance companies, they'll charge you your car insurance based on whether you've had an at-fault claim in the last five years. And so the last five years, I've been paying exorbitant amounts of car insurance because I've had that accident. But as of January 29 this year, no car crashes for more than five years. So as far as my car insurance goes, it's as if that crash never, ever happened. But our conscience doesn't really give us a time frame like that, does it? Guilt can really linger. David longs to come before God free of his guilt to praise God to teach others the joy of having a relationship with God. 
But how can he? He's consumed by guilt. He knows that he sinned horribly against God. Why would God want anything to do with David ever again? In fact, all that David can offer to God to make up for what he's done is a broken heart. That's all he's got. Have a look from verse 16. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. David knows that sacrificing an animal isn't going to make things right. Israel did have a, a sacrifice system that, they, that God had given them back then, and so if they sinned, they could sacrifice an animal to pay for their sin. But David, he committed adultery and murder, and under the law, those sins were punished by death. There was no animal sacrifice for those. And even if there was an animal sacrifice, David knows that it wouldn't deal with the guilt in his heart, the regret he has at what's happened. All he can do is to confess his guilt to God, trusting in God's merciful character, trusting that God values the genuinely broken heart of a sinner more than he values an animal sacrifice. But is a broken heart enough to take his guilt away? It seems so inadequate in light of what he's done, doesn't it? Well, many years after David, God reveals his solution to the problem of our sin. And that solution was Jesus dying to take the punishment for our sin, taking our guilt on himself so that our sins could be blotted out, removed from God's record, so that we can stand joyfully in God's presence and by his Holy Spirit, God works in our hearts, changing us day by day, helping us more and more to live in a way that pleases him. And that's what we're on about as a church. That's the, the good news that we come together here to celebrate. Jesus died so that if we've put our trust in him, our sins are forgiven. God lives in us, changing us day by day. And that barrier between us and God is broken. We can have a right relationship with God. We don't earn our way to being saved, but we do it by trusting in what God has done for us through Jesus and letting that be the thing that shapes our lives. When we feel guilty about things that we do wrong, that's actually a good thing. That's God working in us to to show us our sin and to, to turn us back to him. But God hasn't just wired us to, to feel guilt and then left us there with nothing else. He's done something about the problem of guilt. We feel guilt because of sin and God has dealt with the problem of sin. He's got right to the root of the problem of guilt and dealt with it. There's a tension here, isn't there? Because even though we know that one day we won't have to experience the consequences of sin, we do now. And so guilt is still a reality for us, isn't it? We're still sinful people. And because sin is still a reality, so is guilt. 
And so it's appropriate for us to feel guilt. But once, we've, once guilt has enabled us to, to recognize our sin, to bring it before God in repentance and to trust him uh, to cover that through Jesus, guilt has done its job. When we come before God, our hearts broken by our sin, but trusting that Jesus' death was enough, that's good enough for God. And that's why the guy that I worked with that I was talking about just earlier, he had it all wrong. Because he saw the, the uncleanness inside of him as just being something that he could deal with by going to church every now and then, as if going to church was just the, the magic formula for not feeling guilty anymore. But it's only by repenting of our sins and turning to Jesus in faith that we can actually truly deal with our guilt. Many of you would be familiar with the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gives in the book of Matthew. The very first thing that Jesus says in that sermon is this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those, who, those people who come before God knowing how spiritually poor they are, knowing how great their guilt is, they're the ones who receive God's grace. So our right response to our guilt is a broken heart, but confidence in God to blot out our sins and to restore us. So where does this leave you personally? There's no one-size-fits-all answer to that question because all of us have a different experience with guilt. Perhaps you're affected by the guilt of something that you've done in the past. And it's important to realize that, as I said before, no matter how much we might have hurt someone else or shamed ourselves, God is always the main injured party in our sin. Even if there's nothing you can do to make things right, which is the situation that David found himself in, even if a relationship has been damaged, even if there are long-lasting consequences to what's happened, God's love will last forever. Now, I don't at all want to treat any of those other consequences of sin lightly because I realize that they're anything but that. But if we understand sin as being first and foremost against God rather than something that we've done to others or to ourselves, it makes the problem of guilt a lot easier to understand, to, to see it in its true light and to deal with it. It's a very liberating understanding to have. Maybe you feel guilt about a sin that's ongoing in your life, something that you just can't seem to shake off. Uh, now, for some, it will be ex more extreme and more obvious than for others. But we all battle with it. We all battle with ongoing sin in our lives. And we should pray to God to be at work in our hearts, to be shaping us by his spirit, to be helping us when we face those sorts of temptations. And we should also be um, getting other people involved as well, having people who are able to pray for us and to be able to hold us accountable and most of all, we should never lose sight of God's unfailing love shown to us through Jesus. 
Maybe your guilt has left you wondering if God could ever accept you. And if that's where you're at, I'd really encourage you to talk to someone here that you know or trust or someone who's a Christian who you know and trust and are able to talk with these things about, not to bottle that up. Because once you grasp just how far-reaching God's love is and, and understand that we're saved not by what we do, but by what he's done for us, it really will change everything for you. God doesn't accept any of us based on what we've done. He accepts us based on what's been done for us by Jesus. Because of what Jesus has done, nobody is too far gone to receive God's mercy. Perhaps you don't feel guilty. Now, the last thing I want to do here is to make people feel guilty when they shouldn't. We should be aware of our guilt just as David was, being, being aware of our sin. But if we're confident in God's mercy, then there's no reason for us to be slaves to our guilt forever. As long as we're genuinely brokenhearted at our sin, bringing it before God and knowing that we needed Jesus to die for us just as much as anyone else. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're here just checking out what church is all about. And this, this idea of guilt, it resonates with you. you. You know what it is to feel guilty, but you're just not sure that God has anything to do with it. Well, I hope you come away from here at the very least realizing that as a church, we're not on about making people feel needlessly guilty. Uh, we, we realize that guilt is something that we've been given for a reason to actually help us to recognize our need for God and that God has provided what we need to understand guilt and to deal with it. Understanding our guilt in terms of what we've done to God, not just to other people, that really sharpens the way that we look at guilt. It, it unlocks how we understand what guilt is and how we deal with it personally in our own lives. Knowing that Jesus has taken our guilt on himself it just changes the way we, we view guilt completely. So no matter what we've done, no matter how we feel, God has unfailing love. It was the love that David could depend on when he wrote this psalm. It's the love that we can depend on today. We can have confidence that if we bring our guilt, bring our sins before God with broken hearts, then when God sees our sins... He also sees Jesus on the cross. And that was a sacrifice that God does delight in because that was the sacrifice that he made to deal with our guilt once and for all. I'll pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Psalms, for the way that they express uh, so much of what we feel in our own emotions. Uh, we particularly bring before you this morning, the, the feelings of guilt that many of us will have, or that all of us will have, knowing that it's such a, a complex emotion. We pray that you'd help us to recognize that it's you, ultimately, that we stand guilty before, and that as we come before you, brokenhearted, uh, that we'd know your unfailing love and your compassion, just as David did. And may we know that on the cross you dealt with our guilt and that we can put our hope in what Jesus has done for us. 
May you give us joy knowing that our guilt is dealt with and that one day we'll be able to stand in your presence forever with no guilt at all. So pray for all of us here with unresolved guilt in our hearts and on our minds that you'd help us to be able to hand it over to you and to be able to rejoice in your goodness to us. Amen.